0: I'm Sheila Daz, and welcome to Flow, where we discuss the power and the problems of conversation. Anne-Marie LaFortune joins me to talk about authentic conversations in a second language. Maybe this is something, being summertime, that makes me think of travel. This year, the numbers are up on international travel. And we see how ardently people are wanting to explore and connect, even in the face of flight delays and lost luggage. And there's no doubt that learning a language helps us explore distant lands and cultures. My own trip a few years back to South Africa, a country of 11 official languages, had me reading the local writers, and among them, this gem from Trevor Noah. Nelson Mandela once said, quote, If you talk to a man in a language he understands, that goes to his head. If you talk to him in his language, that goes to his heart. He was so right. When you make the effort to speak someone else's language, even if it's just basic phrases here and there, you're saying to them, I understand that you have a culture and identity that exists beyond me. I see you as a human being. Anne-Marie will explain how no matter if we're old or young, introvert or extrovert, we can all get closer to that heartfelt connection through conversation in a second language, even while at home. But if practice is key, it is not always easy to find conversation partners. And it can be downright intimidating when trying to find your words in another language. Having taught English as a second language or ESL in Korea, France, and Australia, now as a professor at Gaspé Peninsula and the Islands College in Quebec or Cégep de la Gaspésie des iles Anne-Marie has created a new possibility of conversation exchange for learners through the platform, www.worldchat.live. With this platform, as students connect to non-native speakers from the four corners of the globe, she reflects on the benefits of these exchanges going far beyond grammar that open up the empathic world of knowing other peoples and ultimately becoming a better person. Anne-Marie has received the 2018 award from the Canadian Association for Teacher Education and is working on the impact of distance education and community of inquiry. I first came to hear about her projects in the cafeteria lineup from a mutual colleague, and I'm very grateful for what I've learned since. I invited her to come on the show as soon as we met, with my own hope, That her words may reawaken, as Mandela says, speaking to the heart through each other's languages. Anne Marie, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So, today we're talking about the role, the crucial role of conversation in uh, learning a second language. And I thought it would be fun to start right off the bat to establish that both you and I are second language learners. And so we have some experience. And with that, and like for me, that started off actually in my 20s. I decided to start learning Italian. So, that's pretty late. And um, then after that I decided to start polishing my French. So I wonder for you, what were your native languages? I mean, I'm assuming French was your, one of your first languages, but maybe others. And um, what are some of the languages that you've learned since? That's an excellent question. I I
1: was born Francophone, so I do speak French. Obviously, it's my mother tongue, but then uh, we traveled a lot when I was a kid. And so I got to, to, to be exposed to the English language and I just fell in love with it. I studied in English. Uh, and when I was in Sejaf, I actually decided to study in languages. So I, I studied Spanish, I studied German uh, and Latin, actually. And in the university, I studied uh, Chinese. And then on top of that, you know, I lived in Korea. So I've learned some Korean. Uh, I've traveled to other places where I learned a language like uh, Italian and so forth. But those are more languages that you forget if you don't really use them. And I would say that when I studied Latin, um, it's a dead language and I always give my students that, that, that analogy because it's, it's, it's a written language now, mm-hmm. not, I don't think anyone speaks, Ita- um uh, <laughs> Latin. Latin anymore, right? Well, so maybe, we were maybe reading the Vatican, I don't know. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, in terms of our students and traveling. Um, it's something that you read, right? and I remember we were we were studying like uh Karl of carmina burana and and those types of of texts and then translating them, and that was it that that was the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in my language courses, you know german, Italian, chinese, Spanish, we had to speak it right and so i'm I'm all in about conversation, Sheila <laughs> yeah,
0: and like it makes me think exactly that like there's there there is a difference I mean, there are all different kinds of levels. Um, in learning a language, there is the written yes. and, and, and reading um, and, and then listening and speaking, but there's something, I guess, exciting and alive to compare to Latin about a conversation in a, in a foreign language. And so with that, maybe again, we could go back to some of your experiences. You've been like all over the place and had all of these very interesting, um, I, I would say opportunities to speak different languages. But what's the most extraordinary like thing um, you did to actually have a conversation in another language? Like, how far did you go to like have maybe um, sustained conversations or an authentic conversation in a in a foreign language? Well,
1: I mean, it had to be outside the classroom because I was always with francophone students. And so I mean, it was not very natural for us to speak uh german or, or 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 spanish with each other and so whenever we would be stuck we would we, we would switch to french because that's the language we spoke so i had to you know put myself in situations where i was uh, like when i learned chinese where i ended up going to china and and i mean i was a beginner i didn't i didn't speak chinese that well but very quickly i was able to pick it up um and it's a very complex language and don't ask me to to speak chinese today but <laughs> But in the moment, yeah, it was really immersing myself in, in that culture to be able to uh, learn it. But also, you know, like when I was learning German, my, my mother was just reminding me of that the other day. I had like tapes back in the days we had cassettes, you know, and then I was vacuuming around the house and I, I was listening to my German tapes and repeating the words and the sentences. And but I had a desire to learn languages like I'm I'm a very um I love speaking with people. I find it such a it's a pass key to connect with a lot of people and find out about their culture. So that was a big, big, big motivational factor for
0: me. Yeah. But it, it makes me think like, yeah, um, you know, you you made like extensive travels <laughs> like to China and elsewhere to, to create those <laughs> opportunities or like the old school thing, I love it of like listening to tapes. So like <laughs> <laughs> getting your ear uh, habituated to certain yes kinds of speaking and just getting that practice in
1: yeah the exposure you need the exposure obviously um and then there's a bit of rote learning which which can really work uh it's just the idea when you're learning a language is not just to to privilege one form of uh of uh, uh learning strategies right and and then you have to take into consideration the learner type you were talking about reading and listening and how that's i mean it's not uh English and and a lot of languages are dynamic languages, so we want to speak them, you know, like that's part of it, but for some more introverted learners or, you know, people who need to take the time to process information before they're able to communicate it, learning by reading and by listening is is a very important first step Mm -hmm. as well, and so some students also
0: need more time to get that processed, right? So it can almost, that can provide a more gentle entry perhaps into what can be sometimes um, exciting, like the exciting world of conversation, but also like quite an intimidating one, I would say.
1: Yes, yes, because it can be very threatening, right? If you, and it depends again on the context, if it's something like I studied in languages because I love languages. So you could throw any language at me and I I was excited about learning it, right? But for students who are forced to learn a a second language, for example, uh, then yes, it might be a little bit less threatening to start with the more passive even though it's active mm-hmm. but the more passive uh aspect of the language which which would be reading a text writing about it right so taking your time but then you need to challenge yourself to the the actual dynamic aspect of the language and i think sometimes that's where some students will get discouraged and say well look i'm not i'm not i'm not good at it i can't speak it people will make yeah. fun of me yeah. uh, and some students get scarred by you know being laughed at by someone who's who's yeah. a native speaker of that that language or or even a I'm sorry to say but there are bad teachers so mm. by a uh, a teacher who was not very compassionate let's say
0: well i'm sure um that's happened to us all it's happened to me <laughs> it has um Do you want to share a story with no, us <laughs> <laughs> i don't <laughs> but um i i did want to share a different story is that like as a as a canadian i'm i'm actually originally from victoria in bc mm. on the west coast and um nice. I grew up in the seventies and I had, you know, fine French teachers and and this isn't in any way to take anything away from them, but we didn't have, um, let's say a lot of opportunity around us to, to Mm. practice, uh, French. And so to communicate in French, right. Because you could read, you could write that that
1: fine. You could even listen to, uh, yeah. But even
0: like, let's say those opportunities were 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 not obvious. I mean, we had a French immersion school uh, in the city, but I wasn't at that. So like for me, French remained something very much in the classroom. And Mm. as a result, I, I, I certainly didn't master it at that time. I'm not even sure I would say I've mastered it yet. It's still a work in progress. But I wanted to say that it was when I started meeting people, like, in my travels, I met um, someone who remains a very dear friend of mine till today, uh, uh, my friend Magalie from Switzerland, who was Francophone. Mm. And then I met uh, a friend of mine, Bruno, who's from Lille when I was studying um, in Toronto. And I yep. also met a friend, um, Alain, um, in in, mm. in dancing class um, who was from Lebanon. Wow. <laughs> and it was just funny. It just like I kept meeting these Francophones. <laughs> Like life was, was trying to tell you something there. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I got really excited at that point about wanting to speak because I wanted to be able to speak with their families when I was visiting. And, um, how, how do you see that play out? Like that need to maybe attach language learning to some kind of like high motivation, like, You know, I'm excited to speak with you. I really want to to break through this barrier. Well,
1: you know, there are two types of motivation, right? There's, there's the extrinsic one and the intrinsic one. So unfortunately, sometimes in school, we end up uh, finding more extrinsic motivation where students have to do something and then they get a mark and so they'll they'll end up doing it and that's it, right? And and that can turn into intrinsic motivation where at some point they realize the relevance of, their do, of what they're doing and then they really wanna do it for, for themselves. So it's kind of the same thing with languages. Uh, sometimes it starts as an external imposition and then you meet someone in a dance class, like Alain. and then you're like, "Hey, I really want to communicate with you and understand what you're saying." And then I, I'd love to improve my accent so that it, it, it doesn't confuse you when I when I mix up, you know, two words. And then I think that motivation is is your main factor the main driving force for you to, 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 to improve your language skills. And you'll improve very quickly in, in a situation like that. I don't know in, in, in the stories you just mentioned, if, if you feel like you were able to improve a lot, but sometimes maybe you months, improve yeah. more in, in a short period of time than you would have over a couple of years in school.
0: Yeah. That really was my experience. And yeah, it's, it's interesting because like often people will say, like about me, oh, well, learning languages is really easy for you. You're good at languages, but it's actually not true. Um, mm. I'm not good at languages. I just really like talking. And, <laughs> and um, you know, and you Same have to here. do, yeah, you too. And you have to do, of course, some, some basic work. But what have you found? If we can move now um, to more of your experience, let's say as a teacher, what have yep. you found? Um, maybe have posed some hurdles uh, beyond some of the things you've already mentioned that that might like interfere, let's say, with with second language learning. That's a
1: great question, and I mean, there's a lot of research on that. So I'll I'll, I'll be very brief on my personal experience. I guess um, I think you know it, it it all begins with with school, uh, and not to put it down in any way. Uh, But just just also society in general and how how we view and value school. Um, I I spent a couple of weeks in, in Finland at Helsinki University, and I wanted to find out more about their pedagogical model over there. And what I realized is that students have a lot of choice and a lot of autonomy. And that's not just in school. Society as a whole supports that, right? And so whenever they have something to do in school, it's always like, hey, here are the objectives, but show me, like, tell me how you would like to show that to me, and then I'll tell you if it's, you know, a proper uh, strategy, and then That makes it relevant to students, that supports their motivation, and therefore their long-term learning. So if we start, I mean, I remember teaching my first ESL class and just saying, good morning, let's talk about the simple past, and then explaining grammar rule, right? And my students, they took notes, they did the rote learning exercises, but they didn't remember anything and they're in Sejep, right so Mm -hmm. they've been doing this whole thing since elementary school and still did not get it when they got to Sejep. and you think they got it after I explained it to them and I thought I was doing a brilliant job obviously um no (laughs) (laughs) right I was excited it was a performance of a lifetime I had I had made sure that anyway so it's it's kind of that I, I think one of the main issues is that if we don't start by getting our students motivated and um, getting them to see the relevance of what they're doing and how this applies in in a real-life context that is going to be necessary to them, then they'll just end up doing, you know, whatever you're asking them to do, but without seeing the the relevance in the long run. Another thing is how we design also our uh, courses and the the assessment activities. Uh, I love the distinction between assessment of learning and assessment as learning. Mm-hmm. So am mm-hmm. I assessing what you've learned or are you learning as you're working on the assessment yeah. task, right? And so if we're, and, and for, you know, listeners who are familiar with Bloom's Taxonomy, uh, if we look at the different cognitive levels, if I just ask my students in language course to fill in the blanks with vocab, and, you know, like proper verb uh, uh, conjugation and so forth. I, that's like the very basic cognitive level. You remember it, but are you able to use it in an authentic context? Not necessarily. So in the learning activities that we design, the assessment tasks that we design, uh, it's also important that we, we, we scaffold in a way that leads to, uh, in this case, I would say authentic conversation. Mm-hmm. But we also have to, to light that spark of motivation and get your students to tell you, like, not you're here because you have to but like what's the relevance of what we're doing and and how are you going to use it in the future
0: and when you're talking about uh relevance i wonder is is there something about that like just that this is this is a a beautiful language or culture like like beyond let's say something that you might use like i think very often Mm -hmm. yes Languages are a tool to get things done. Very often with English, people associate that with being useful for business and, and stuff. Yes, same with the Chinese language, right? Yeah. yeah, you can make big deals and big bucks. Yes. But but is there a way also to say, hey, um, this is going to be really um, I don't know if relevant's the right word, as much as maybe enriching.
1: Yes. And and I guess, yeah, maybe thanks for that distinction. I'd say relevant to you because you mm. want to right? Because it makes sense to you. So it could be a, a very utilitarian view of it. So I'm going to get something out of it for like a business deal. Or just yes, like I, I think uh, a lot of Americans, for example, it'd be stereotypical, they want to learn the French language, because they think it's a beautiful, sexy, romantic culture. And, and, and so that's okay, too. So yeah, the relevance of it is, is it can be also the um, for just something for you that you want to do, because it's great. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree.
0: Great. (laughs) Um, maybe if we could then segue into another aspect of, of language learning. Um, I I just want to like throw that out there. And that's the question of age. Um, because I know, Mm. um, I, I, I started, uh, learning, like I said, Italian a bit late and I know, uh, here, uh, we're both in Quebec and i know there are sometimes yes. immigrants coming into quebec who as as all over canada actually yeah. who sometimes um don't have um a lot of education in their own languages and they're coming in at a later age and i wonder uh, how do you think that that hurdle can be can be like brought down a bit made easier
1: so you mean how to help them learn
0: English Yeah, or like French? older, older learners.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Well- I think again. I'll go back to the motivation factor and the, uh, the, the 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 need. You know, like if you do it because you want to, and if you see the relevance of it, that's that's your first step. It's so important. But uh, there's no age to learn a language, and I think that uh, we have amazing communities here that um, quite often will have like mentors. And tutoring groups and peer groups and so forth, and they even take them shopping and they take them to different places so they they can get to 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 see in real life how to use the language and support them and help them. Um, but I think it's like anything, you know, like learning a language is basically like um, doing sports you have to practice you have to 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 be exposed to it and practice and make mistakes and then learn from those mistakes and get better and so i think that at any age it's very important to do that another important factor i think is um, i was just uh, i attended a conference not too long ago at Ucam and and, and the keynote speaker was talking about uh, plurilingualism mm-hmm. and how important it is to not learn everything in silos and rather so for instance if i th- if i'm teaching an english as a second language course i'm francophone my students are francophone and i never allow them to use the french language in class Mm -hmm. except when i want to clarify guidelines or scold them right so that's a typical model so then we associate the english language with something that they have to do and and then French with something being bad right Hmm. as opposed and then I might be let's say teaching in Montreal where I have students who are also from Saudi Arabia from Mm -hmm. other countries and so they speak a different language but I never allow them to speak that language in class so the, the message I'm sending is that one is right in a specific context and one is wrong whereas the the plurilingual approach to it would be Hey like how do you say that in your language and oh it sounds a little bit like what i what we say in our language how interesting and so your brain is just going to fire up all those neurons and connections instead of feeling like there's a danger zone if i get out of that language that I'm i just love to be that because
0: it's also so validating of people's experiences yes,
1: and their back of who they are yeah. yes of who you are your language is such a big part of your of, of, of your identity yeah. And that's also one of the issues that 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 we notice in countries where there are two official languages or more. Like I was speaking with someone in India and he was telling me how they've got a lot yeah, of regional I think there's something like over well.
0: 100,000 languages <laughs> in India.
1: It's unbelievable how many dialects they have in languages. and Right. And so the idea, yeah, it's more like uh, instead of, of seeing a language as a source of division, uh or 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 seeing you know a hierarchy in that in those languages more just seeing it as as bridges you know like Mm -hmm. I want to connect with you hey here let's build that bridge and then you also speak another language let's let's build that bridge and so cognitively you win a lot more when you're able to uh you don't have to master every language but just be open to to the Mm -hmm. different languages and then seeing how it it relates to uh to another language yeah
0: and that's neat too because I I think that also opens you up to, you already, I, I think we're hinting at that, the idea of different cultures. So if you're, mm-hmm. if you're in, a, in a classroom with, with people from different areas, um, it's not just that you, you can hear or exchange if, uh, you know, how they might express things differently, but also learn um, what those different expressions might indicate about their cultures. So yes. it kind of becomes a kind of, I don't know, a wider exchange.
1: It is, and, and even you see it with this with the same language. Like I remember when I was living in France, there are expressions I was using that are from Quebec, and uh, that they were completely confused by, or even for the same thing. That's very typical, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yes, even Americans and and and, and oh. the British, right? And so I would say, écoutez la télévision, so like listen to TV. And they said, oh, you listen to it in, in Quebec. Well, we watch it in France, right? On regarde la télévision. And so I thought that was also a very interesting distinction that that might be cultural uh, because maybe we're more auditive or I, I don't even know. And I'm, I'm not going to overgeneralize about you know each culture. But so I think even within the same language uh, regionally, you'll find different colors and that's beautiful as well. That's so opening true. your mind to that.
0: That's really yeah. true. That's really neat. Yeah. So I wanted to move uh, to maybe an obvious question. Might be obvious to a lot of people, um, not just you. And uh, I don't think we've fully kind of gotten into that. But we are talking about conversation in a, the sort of a second language learning context. And why yes. is that? No matter who you are, like extrinsic or uh, intrinsic learner, why is still conversation such a vital? Um, part of of learning a language because it's
1: dynamic and human beings are not silent people you know so so the first thing we do when we meet someone is is to speak to them right it's it's how we communicate it's how we connect I have a 2 year old uh he can speak very well but uh it's not the first thing he does he, he's going to look at the room and you know scan the room and then when he's ready he's going to to speak but still you know like it's his way of communicating it's the first thing that we do as human beings it's 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 to speak but it requires you to think on your feet right mm-hmm. and so when it's your mother tongue it's easy because you know the ideas come to your mind and then they flow through your mouth but when it's a second language I think that's why a lot of people even though they want to communicate they find it challenging because they they just don't have the words or the expressions and there's like a disconnect between here's what I'm thinking in my mother tongue and what I'm trying to express in that second third whatever foreign language it is to me and so I, again we want to communicate we want to express a message that's that's what you know that's what even animals will do they communicate Mm -hmm. in in any way that they can so it is a crucial part of it and I'm not going to go and you know I I always have to tell my students that remind them that you know like when you you're talking with someone on the street you don't write them a message on a notepad and then say here read this and then write your answer (laughs) no (laughs) not usually not usually Um (laughs) So, and there's something very subtle about the the communication that uh you know when you're speaking uh the the, the tone of the voice uh, you know like you can feel the warmth of the person there's a lot that you learn a lot about a person just by by
0: speaking with them yeah and and I think it's also kind of um neat that um, there's there can be a lot of forgiveness i actually think a lot of patience in uh, speaking with someone um in in their language that you're trying to learn i mean i found that um when I'm trying to speak a, a different language, um, most of the time, of course, not all the time, but most yep. of the time, uh, people are just really uh, wonderful, and um, they're forgiving of your mistakes. And so, like, just they make are. them, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Nothing, nothing terrible that is going to happen. You can make uh, mistakes, and it still the exchange can be um, can can be effective, can be meaningful. Yeah. Definitely,
1: and and it, it shows that you're human, and and I think we also need to have a, a very, um, we need to have. Uh, a sense of humor when we're learning something new and and again i'll go back to the way that we learn in school sometimes it's drilled in a way that it, you gotta aim for perfection and if you don't get it then then you you don't feel so good about your sense of self-efficacy and and so then when you're speaking a second language uh you want to be as fluent as you would be in your mother tongue and if you make mistakes then you think the person is going to make fun of you so so yeah. But yeah, just feeling, having a bit of, uh, having a sense of humor and feeling okay with making mistakes. Um, and not everybody is good in terms of like pedagogy, right? Like if if you, if you were to learn Italian and you spoke with someone who's Italian and then you said something uh, of a sexual nature by mistake, you know, and the person laughs, but they don't explain it to you and... Mm. Then obviously you feel like an idiot, right? But if they explain it to you and then they show the distinction and so forth, then then you realize, you know, oh, okay, that's the mistake I made, and I, I you know, like you'll remember that a lot more. <laughs>
0: well, you do remember it;
1: that's for sure. <laughs> you do remember, <laughs> it.
0: But, and and, yeah. and I think perhaps um, you know sometimes it, it can sound funny to somebody a mistake you make in in their in their tongue, um, but it's I think also um maybe reassuring to think, well, but you're the one, you're the one taking the risk. So congratulations to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. And we have to pat
1: ourselves on the shoulder a lot more for trying, celebrating small victories.
0: Uh yes. Because I do find language learning, I mean, there is that challenge. And I, I want to move in, I want to move into um a a kind of uh wonderful new direction, I think that uh you brought to my attention. How we can maybe avoid the judgment of that language learning, but still be in a safe space. And also I'd say move out of those accidental encounters that I experienced, just like say in my travel, like uh meeting my my friend um from Switzerland or like going to a dance class yes. and meeting my friend. Totally accidental, wonderful experiences for me. But there's a way that we could be more intentional today about like meeting language partners and that is something you've developed which is your um world chat live uh platform yes and so i just want to ask you um how did you come up with that idea and then we'll get into some of the nitty-gritty
1: well thanks it actually goes back to what we were saying you know like having access to authentic uh conversation practice and uh and i mean it's when I was teaching in, in South Korea it was very homogeneous and so they were hiring uh anglophones to to get access to that 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 accent and 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 fluency and so forth uh when I was teaching in France it was all homogeneous as well then when I was teaching in Australia it was a a mosaic of people from, uh, you know, Colombia, China, Indonesia, Saudi Arabia. And and that was just so marvelous because they would speak in English as a second language, but they would learn about each other's culture. They would improve their communication skills so quickly because, you know, they, they get immediate feedback, right? If the other person doesn't understand what you're saying, you have to say it differently. Mm-hmm. You have to use another word, uh, adapt your flow, pronunciation. So I sort of wanted that for my students because I remember th- a very specific moment standing at the back of the class at the back of the class, that that was back in the days, <laughs> and they're all doing a listening comprehension. They all have the same, you know, uh, recording. Uh, they all have the same questions. They don't care about the topic. They have not selected the topic. I'm going to be marking like 100 copies of the same answers, right or wrong, and I just I could feel my body tense up, hmm. and and just like mentally apolog- apologizing to my students for doing that to them because. It just didn't work. And I knew it and they knew it. And we kept doing it just out of politeness. They wouldn't say anything. And then I would keep repeating the pattern the way that I had learned. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, you know, like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to find a better way. Right. And so I thought, okay, let's create a virtual space for that to happen. And so that's, that's how it came about with the help of an ECQ grant, which I have to say, I'm, I'm beyond grateful for it. has been so helpful. No,
0: that's really wonderful. But it's it's totally cool that you started this, like pre-pandemic. Like I understand that you started this back in 2018.
1: Yes, yes, that was the those were the like the first hiccups of the of the project when I saw on mm, I forget what website it was, but it was it was somebody looking for an English tutor for 30 students in Vietnam. And then I was thinking, well, I'll I'll do one better. I'll I'll get you 30 students who are learning ESL and then I mean it's not an Anglophone teaching the Vietnamese students English, but it's it's actually better because they have to struggle and make the, the you know, get their point across. And so we started that using Zoom and I, I, there were a lot of issues with it because uh, the students would forget the discussion questions. They didn't save them. Then they would tell me something happened with their partner. I had no way of verifying. So I was like, I need something better, something more complete for me as a teacher to supervise the pedagogical activity that I'm putting together mm-hmm. because I could see that this would be, global and it could get really huge yeah. and so we need as teachers to have a safe space where this can happen right um and one of my colleagues when i started the the, the I, I threw the idea of the chat uh, of world chat out there he said "Ooh, that reminds me of the chat roulette which you might have heard of no um okay so it's it's a website where you go on and you say i'd love to speak with someone who's like i'm learning russian so is there any russian person Ooh. here and so yeah it's really cool and then it's kind of like a chat roulette and then you get like a Russian but then people start showing their genitals or looking for a date and so that's it so it's not a safe
0: space it's not no yeah
1: I don't want that happening on the on the website so that's why I implemented a lot of features like we verified features everything is recorded you can flag a user if you're if you do like we have zero tolerance policy you're out at first strike you know like you don't Mm -hmm. get a chance and so forth and everything is a it's it's kind of like monitored in a way that you don't just go out there and find a partner just like that, Mm -hmm. right? Or have a live chat and then you're able to talk about anything you want. Teachers have to put the specific discussion questions. They can track student progress. So so yeah, that's how the idea
0: evolved over time. So Mm. there are a couple, uh, there's a lot there and I I want to break it down a little bit more. Um, First, uh, the idea is um, that this is being done Um, within, let's say, a teaching context, like either college or university context. So you do have teachers, I guess, signing up their classes.
1: Yes, they sign up as teachers. I have to meet all of them individually. And so the beginning of the semester is usually a marathon. Like I remember in Um, August, I had two weeks of meetings from like 8am till 10pm at night because of time difference. And it was just like Algeria, Croatia, Poland, Russia, Vietnam, blah, blah, blah um but i meet them all and and i'm so like originally when i started this it was it was it was to develop a global network and and i was trying to recruit teachers and and now they come to me and and i'm just so touched to see how many teachers want to develop authentic speaking activities for their students mm-hmm. and they want to connect them to the world and they do it out of like it will take them extra time to put together learning activities but they they love it because they love their students and they want them to succeed
0: i think that's something yeah. like um you know when i've taught language um, I think yeah. it's a particular kind of teaching experience because maybe there is so much risk involved and there's so much exchange in in practicing the language that you really get to know your students really well. Yeah. And I think that that like deep affection for your students yes. is so motivating as a teacher. So I, I'm sure a lot of language teachers can can relate to what you're you're saying.
1: Yeah, because they care. And it's kind of like watching a child adult, you know, like they know a lot about everything, but they're still like novice when it comes to that language acquisition. So they're like a child. They need guidance. They need help. They need compassion. They need love. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. And it's a vulnerable. It's a vulnerable place to be. Yeah, when you communicate, which is not necessarily the same when you're you're learning learning about engineering or nursing because you know you're starting from scratch and then you can you know learn the techniques and so forth. But the language is so like you're out there and you have to find the right word and the right. Yeah, uh, you can't you can't really control the the context. You know, you're speaking with someone. Whoops, That's they start it. talking about politics. Ooh, I haven't learned
0: any vocab related to that. So it's a very vulnerable place to be. That's in. it. Yeah. So I think that's one of the cool things that I've learned about your your platform World Chat Live. It does a couple of really cool things. One, it creates the safe space that you've already mentioned, but at the same time, it moves students a bit out of the classroom um, and into an environment where they do have some of the autonomy, also that you mentioned, that can help motivate them as learners because they get to sort of choose their own schedule. Is that is that sort of how it works? Right. So that's actually
1: it, it, it came out uh, out of necessity uh, because of time difference. Right. So if you have a partner in Vietnam, that's 11 or 12 hours time difference. Uh, so you can't do that during regular class time. Uh, so then then what you can do is say to your students, OK, for the next, you know, you'll do five meetings. And so for five weeks, I'll take 30 minutes away from class time and, and then you have time to to schedule a meeting. So they have to organize their schedule. Uh, some of them do it early in the morning, late at night. I've had students who had to get up at like 5 a.m. and they, they've they never done that. And some that's actually neat. enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's part of the experience because it's not that's the thing with WellChat. It's not just about the second language experience. Um, beyond that, there's the intercultural experience. Beyond that, there's like the, just the, the personal experience of managing your time, showing up to your meeting, having proper, you know, neg- netiquette and etiquette when speaking with someone, being yeah. being a nice human being, you know, showing up on time and yeah. and organizational skills aspect of that too and so we have in the next version like videos etiquette videos and so forth to, to 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 you know expose them to what it's like to be a
0: nice person and what, how would you feel that happened to you and uh and so then that's, on that's, top that's of that's another th- way of sort of scaffolding um an entry yeah. into this this like video conversation space uh, to remind people of what you know we probably all know intuitively but like yeah um basic etiquette like you say netiquette that's yes. really good. Yeah.
1: What it means to be a human being who communicates with someone else. It's not just about communication. And a lot of teachers, uh, when they use World Chat, they're like, okay, so that's one project, you have five conversations to do, uh, and then report on that, see you later. But that's not how it works. And that I've had to come to that realization myself as well. You have to build up the project in a way that we talk to, uh, we talk about the country, maybe they're gonna be speaking, uh, the students they're gonna be speaking with, um, cultural differences, what it means to speak with someone who's got different value systems, who, 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 who see, like I, I gave you the example before of a Moroccan teacher who told me he's disgusted when a man kisses his wife in public, in front of children, you know, like so there's a lot of preparation you need to do with your students about uh understanding different cultures about non-judgment about respecting the mm-hmm. way that people do things and then also yeah like you said you're scaffolding how to be uh a respectful communicator in yeah. in on a platform like that yeah
0: yeah so it, it really yeah has has so many um advantages i would say to like building your conversation and building your openness to the world um <laughs> and and then Becoming like being a good person, being it, it, a yeah, being yes. sort of a, like yeah, I like the way you say it. I was gonna say ethical, but it's really just like a good, decent, um be a good human being. That's yeah. what it is, you know? <laughs> and and maybe also like I, I wonder because you were talking about how sometimes it's difficult for um students to kind of manage different topics, but I, I do understand, although these are geared to be authentic conversations that you still do give a bit of structure so that yes, the students have can, have, can have a topic, maybe a few uh, suggested questions just to kind of get them rolling that's right
1: that's right but we suggested the first meeting well first of all not to ask for too many uh too, uh, too long of a meeting so you say like 30 minutes and quite often they end up going like I have a, one of the teachers that that did the project she had her students she said 15 minutes just 15 one five and I was really surprised and she said I know they're gonna go over mm. and they do if you say 30 minutes they go over but it's not threatening when you say 15 minutes or right. 30 minutes and so we suggested the first meeting just be about getting to know each other establishing that relationship so even though they have guided questions they're not limited by those questions either it's just that you'll hear students say well at least we had questions so i was not too nervous you know i knew yeah. where this was going and then yeah. we often suggest that teachers put free talk at the end um and and then quite often it's going to be divided up by topics so week one is getting to know each other week two is about uh, festivals and customs week three is about you know, education, politics, whatever. And so, so you've got like a general topic, you've got discussion questions,
0: but they're free to go beyond that if they want to. So it's it's, work for the language exchange, because I understand that the the students are, are they, they can have different language backgrounds and exchange languages. Um, So how is that organized? Well, originally the platform was
1: for ESL. So you'd have second language learners of English or foreign uh, English as a foreign language connected together. So you have like our French Canadian students with Russian students and they they speak English with one another, right? But the platform basically evolved naturally and organically into any type of authentic conversation that we can have, right? So the idea is that whatever we're learning in school, quite often is done in, in silos, in isolation. So there's like geography, history, Politics or whatever it is, right? Um, and uh, and so, what if we were able to combine all this together, right? So something interdisciplinary. And for us to to get uh, to support deep learning, uh, I was talking about the cognitive levels before, right? At the bottom, it's like just remember. But if I have them analyze and choose what what words to use in an authentic conversation, I'm 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 asking higher cognitive skills. So then they'll remember a lot more. So then you can have students who are Francophones speaking with italian students and they speak in english teach each other a little bit of italian a little bit of french while discussing you
0: know uh geography history politics and so forth um and yeah. i like yeah how you're breaking down silos just to make it sort of a general um and exciting uh, learning exchange actually <laughs> yeah it's um, very open it's very uh complete i want to then move to like the reactions of some of the students and Um, I'm sure you have so many um, different stories to tell.
1: (laughs) Well, I got to say though, I think that it's important, like I mentioned before, to, um, to set up the project properly. Uh, because if you don't then it cre- it can create a lot of anxiety in students right okay. and I remember one student saying like I- I've never had a teacher parachute me on a video chat with a stranger across the world and ask me to talk to them you know like it's, it's <laughs> it can be very scary like wh- what's that true. all about
0: it's true um,
1: <laughs> yes and so you you kind of have to ease them into it a little bit right Um. but yeah so a lot of feedback that we're getting is when I mean, it's like that in life in general. You're not going to click with everybody, though, right? Yeah. So on the platform, you can match students manually or have the random feature that where the system manually uh, randomly matches them. And I have some teachers who spend hours, you know, trying to make the perfect match between mm. students based on their interests. Like we have space where you can write if your students are introverts, extroverts, what they love, mm. Uh, mm. and so forth, right? But even so, it doesn't mean it's going to be a match made in heaven and they might not click. So it's something to keep in mind because uh, sometimes it just doesn't click. But when it clicks, oh, my gosh, you know, like recently there was a teacher. She said one of our students went on for three hours with their partner. Um, they want to visit quite often they want to visit each other one day Um, they also keep in touch on on social media after the project they learn like we've got students showing like bamboo sticks in the in front of the camera and bringing food and you know like they they just want to show each other what what their reality is we get a lot of funny anecdotes also about cultural misunderstandings and they laugh about it and they you know um, I have a, a colleague who had my students from a previous semester and uh, so the typical question at the beginning of the semester you know where would you like to travel one day and they all said I want to go to Vietnam and he was like what's what's in Vietnam you know like what's going <laughs> and they all they had all done the world chat project with Vietnamese students so they all wanted to go and meet their partner
0: so one they day. all like knew a lot more <laughs> about the culture and they had these personal connections that's it exactly that's so wonderful Oh,
1: it's beautiful. Even it like is. one teacher was telling me that um, of all her students in class, one of them, she kept on saying how great her uh, partner, I think it was in Italy, was. And so she said uh, she walked into the classroom one day and there was the Italian partner on like a big screen and everybody was talking to her because she was so nice. And and then and then the, the partner had said, well, come and chat with my partner. You know, she's so much fun. So then the whole class was just chatting with the partner. That's so wild. It, That's so it's wild. It's beautiful. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love it. I love it. And, and very often that's what ends up happening. You know, like when you introduce the topic or the project to students who are naturally keen and they want to communicate and learn about other cultures, they're really excited. But the other students are, they'll be skeptical. They'll be a little bit anxious. They, 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 they thank you for having discussion questions. And so the first meeting, they're a bit shy. Second meeting, oh my gosh, they're like getting excited. And then by the third meeting, they're, they're really good friends and they want to visit each other one day.
0: And I was wondering also, like being away from, let's say, a teacher's ear, um, like directly, even though the sessions are recorded or being away from a mark. Um, that it might actually liberate the students. Oh yes,
1: yes. And I've had uh, quite a few teachers tell me that the students really forget that they're being recorded because they get into uh, very interesting topics. You know, it's it's always appropriate topics, but mm-hmm. it's just, they open up very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had a lot of teachers, like recently one teacher in Mexico, she said, oh my gosh, like I've never seen or heard my students talk like that. She's just so talkative and she's got so much to say in English. She said in class she barely speaks. You know, it's just so amazing
0: how how oh, that can gold. like open someone up.
1: It does. It really does. And I'm I'm sorry to say, in a way that um, if you do the project five weeks with your students so five conversations, maybe over eight weeks to give them a bit of wiggle room, um, sometimes they'll progress more over those five meetings with the partner who doesn't speak their mother tongue than they would in a regular class setting where we've got like learning activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, that are not as authentic as that
0: and that's like, i think that's really counterintuitive to think that you could learn more with someone who it's not their mother tongue but you're yeah. actually engaged and like your, your brain is working like firing on all pistons to, to be able oh, yeah. to talk with them
1: yes exactly and 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 it's because again they want to communicate they yeah. don't want to be like if they were with a native speaker who's their mentor or tutor mm-hmm. they would be more stressed they would would be more in a learning position of 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 passive receptivity, mm-hmm. right? Whereas in this one, they're they're right into the action. And so they have no choice but to make it happen.
0: It's yeah, very nice. interesting. So, yeah, I can see a, a hierarchy might be off-putting.
1: Right, um, actually. right. Whereas when they're having that conversation with their partner, the teacher is not there. Um, they, they don't like, they, no one is better than the other because they're sure. usually uh, placed at the similar level. So because of that, they, they, they sort of see this as a collaboration. If you're familiar with the community of inquiry, which is a, a model, a learning model that was developed uh, by Garrison, Anderson, and Archer, um, you know, it's it's it basically that model really applies to this too, because the, the previous learning model was the banking model of education, right? So I'm the teacher, I have all the knowledge, mm-hmm. the students are the empty recipients, and then I deposit my knowledge into their empty heads, and I mm-hmm. fill it up <laughs> mm-hmm. like a bank account. Yeah the community of inquiry model is that it says okay yes there's a teaching presence there's the learner presence but there's also the cognitive presence and the social presence and so in a way it shifts the 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 weight off the teacher's shoulders because the teaching presence is not just the teacher my classmates also teach me something Mm -hmm, and i can mm -hmm. teach them something right Mm -hmm. and so that's what ends up happening on world chat even though my my chinese partner does not speak french and their english is not better than mine maybe they know a bit more words that i don't know and vice versa and so we put the pieces of the puzzle together so that's very interesting and pedagogical without the teacher being there but the teacher was there a lot of times we don't realize that the teacher has been there before to design the learning activities, right? To set mm-hmm. everything up, to think of the discussion questions, to do to do the marking and so forth.
0: Yeah, yeah. the teacher so is like there the kind of as, as a, let's say, structuring presence, but not totally um, directly um, part of that conversation. Absolutely, yes. Um, I wanted to talk about also some uh, other aspect that you and I uh, talked about before, because um, you might remember that I, I first met you through a colleague um, Yes, because I was trying to establish for my own students um, who I was teaching uh, English to in Haiti, some yes. kind of uh, authentic learning experience in English for them because in Haiti, um, well, they speak Creole and they speak French, there isn't a lot of opportunity uh, to, to speak English. That's and right. one of the concerns <clears throat> um, I had for them was um, accessibility, because there is a a small fee um, for the students for the program, I believe, if I remember Mm, correctly, it was mm -hmm. something like around 18 18 to $25 for about three to five conversations. And, And that's really to pay for like, the platform and other related costs oh yes
1: because you've got server fees we have to store all the videos so that takes a lot of uh, of space we have a programming team that's always working on on you know troubleshooting and and developing new features <clears throat> there's also the uh, the graphic design to make sure that the user experience is uh, it, it's got a flow to it mm-hmm. so all of that means that there's a fee that comes with
0: it yes so and and i understand that i get that <laughs> But I also yeah. uh, understand, like from certain um students that that there are constraints. And I think, you know, coming maybe from from North America, it it um, might seem a bit distance to us, distant to us. But like in Haiti, those costs which you mentioned, which don't sound exorbitant, um actually are can just like be too much for oh, someone yeah. who is having difficulty um, paying for food or paying for gas. Oh, we yeah. all know these things have actually only increased in, in prices oh, yes. um, recently. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I know in my own exchange, teaching these students how interesting they are and how much they've taught me and how much they sensitized mm. me to some of their experiences. And, um, yeah. I just wonder, could your platform or does your platform accommodate, um, people that say from circumstances where they they themselves face some financial constraints mm,
1: that's an excellent question actually we we faced that really early on uh because it's you know in the northern mountains the mountains of Vietnam they don't have that kind of money in, in on the streets of Delhi they don't have that kind of money sometimes and so uh we had to start giving away uh credits to to students who need it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we have a social credit program on the platform where people can apply. And then, yes. And so we don't want to, you know, turn anyone away. We have accessibility, 100% accessibility to everybody. And so when students cannot afford it, then they they fill out the form and then they're they're given the social credits. Um, It was interesting. It's actually interesting that you bring this up, too, because it's not black or white either. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something I had to realize over time. And so I'm happy to have that conversation, too, because uh we were thinking well the canadian students are wealthier Mm -hmm. you know quotation marks and so they can pay for the access for students who are let's say in vietnam and cannot afford it or in cuba Mm -hmm. and so forth but then we came to realize so we we were charging more that's why it was like 25 dollars but that would pay for the um international students access. Then we came to realize that, hey, they, there was a mother, a single mother, immigrant mother, who's got three kids living in Montreal who mm-hmm. did not have that kind of money. And yet someone in Cameroon was going to a private school and they could have totally paid for, mm-hmm. for access, right? Yeah. So when I was talking about Wellshed before, where we work on those, you know, the language skills, the interpersonal skills and communication skills, but also the intercultural skills and just being a good person, Mm -hmm. uh, that comes into play. We want to make it accessible. We make it accessible actually to Mm -hmm. everybody. And, and then that, you know, that's kind of like a global way of saying, well, if you have more then give, and if you don't have anything, well, we'll, we'll, we'll take you in anyways. Yeah. So also teachers, uh, students, or even parents, anyone from the community, uh, if, if somebody wants to make a donation, we also have space for that on, on the
0: website. Oh, that's great. So that can help diffuse some of the costs
1: that's right totally It's it's a lot more complex than than what I had anticipated mm-hmm. but I think that if we want to make this accessible and not an elitist tool yeah. uh, I think this is very important like you mentioned you know your students in Haiti they've taught you a lot and you learn a lot from them so it would be it would be cruel it would be completely ridiculous to 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 only keep students who can pay for the project on the platform our students learn so yeah. much when they're talking with students in Vietnam that have a hard time you know making ends meet that have school every day plus saturday that you know like so so yeah we really want to make it open yeah having those real exchanges
0: is. with people with um different um realities different yes. life experiences is, is yes is crucial. it's so important yeah it's yeah. important in being a, a good human being again i gotta <laughs> yeah. put that somewhere on the website you know developing um appreciation i think is always great but also empathy to say wow, well, mm-hmm. um that's that's something different that's something that i don't go through um
1: that's right. And that's something that like again when I was saying the teacher designs the learning experience in the questions that you ask your students afterwards because in the next version of the platform which is going to be released release in August we have so many new features and one of them is a pop-up at the end of a conversation where the, the teacher has has already uh, established questions. So they're not the discussion questions, they're the reflection questions. Okay. So students have to self-rate themselves and then after that they have a reflection question. So the question that you can ask as a teacher can be again if we think about the cognitive skills or even just metacognition right mm-hmm. um what did you learn in the meeting that's a very mm-hmm. basic one mm-hmm. but it could be a question about um you know a, a, an incidence an anecdote that made you feel a lot of empathy mm-hmm. towards your partner yeah. and so we we support that development of of uh, of soft skills if you will by the types of questions that we ask students. So it's important that teachers realize that as well, the type of question that you're asking students, it, it shows them, you know, a specific direction that, where Definitely. they're going to go and that they might not be asked to, to go into very often. And so it can be very confronting at first.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think, yeah, as teachers, when you're developing conversation topics or follow up questions, uh, you are orienting a certain yes. kind of reflection. And um, that yes. can be one that's more understanding or less. And so, yeah, if you can do that with your model, I think that's fantastic. Totally, totally, yes. <laughs> I I'd like to end, Anne Marie. Uh, uh, this has been a, a lovely conversation, but we have to end. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> yes, it's fun chatting with you, Sheila. <laughs> I I but I would like to ask about like, what would what would this like look like maybe in five years? Uh, for you.
1: Yeah, well, world chat will be world chat, you know, like it it will be what it's supposed to do. And it's going to be everywhere it needs to be to to make this a better world, because that's what it is. That's what we do. We, We build bridges across cultures, we open up students minds and so that that's where we're heading and 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 it's already happening so five years from now it's it the 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 network will have expanded even more and we'll have enough resources to to keep it going and 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 to keep the essence of what it is you know i keep saying it's authentic speaking activities right Mm -hmm. for students and that's Mm -hmm. what we we want to keep it's a safe place for students to speak with other students and and obviously uh in in a pedagogical way so yeah, it's gonna be huge.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and Marie And keep changing too. lives. Pardon? Thank yeah, you. keep changing lives. I, I love that. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you very much for spending some time with me here and um you know talking about your wonderful project.
1: Thanks, Sheila. It was so great chatting with you. And if anybody wants to get in touch, they can go on uh www.world chat that's
0: w-o-r-l-d-c-h-a-t uh, dot live L I V. uh they and can also we'll look up World chat too, Education. uh in uh the description page of of this uh, episode so people can also brilliant look it up there all right cool thanks for everything sheila it was great you chatting too, with Henry. you bye then You know, if you're here, that you can follow us on Spotify, Apple and Google podcasts. And I welcome your feedback or suggestions, which you can drop on our voice message link. This episode of Flow, which concludes our first season, was edited by Rebecca Akone. Original music by Glenn Etier, and performed by Caitlin May Wong and Jonathan Zituni. A special thanks goes to Bruce Norton. And I'd like to thank all our guests who've been on the podcast this season. It's been just wonderful chatting with you all. Also, I'd like to thank our listeners far and near. You've made the year so worthwhile. I hope you'll be back after our summer break in September when Hasten Moon, professional coach and communication scientist, will launch the season to discuss how to have better conversations at work and at home. Follow us to stay in the flow.